Hello, everybody. Um, it's the 171st edition of the Frank and Stan chat. And uh, I'm really pleased that Samina Chowdhury, who was a great guest last time, has agreed to join us. It wasn't so damaging that she wouldn't come back. So uh, the career is still going forward, I'm pleased to say. So welcome back, Samina. Thank you. And thanks so much for having me again. It's lovely chatting to both you, Frank and Stan. Well, also the impact is uh, was interesting because last time Samina was on, uh, we mentioned her great book because uh, it really is a sort of operational book, isn't it? It's not mm-hmm. a it's not a theoretic. Well, it, there's a bit of theory in it, but, but it's actually practical in terms of the things that you can do. And a colleague um, from a local authority reached out to us, and we were able to put him in touch with Samina. And I also want to connect her with uh, another local authority. So. Uh, things happen around the Frankenstein chat. So Samina, just explain who you are to those who didn't watch the first uh, edition. Yeah, so um, I've got a very long career in education, um, done lots of different things in three or four local authorities, mainly in uh, the Yorkshire and Humber region. Uh, So I started off as a teacher. Uh, I did officer training many, many years ago, worked in colleges, schools, local authority and um, worked with lots of schools in terms of particularly around closing the attainment gap. And my particular focus is around vulnerable groups of pupils and what we should as a system be doing better for those pupils, because I do feel that if we can get it right for them, we'll get it right for the rest of the children as well. So that's that's a very broad (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting because... uh... We had a, a guest, uh, Mina Wood, who was a former HMI on recently, and you know she highlighted the fact that Ofsted inspections don't really delve much, if at all, into particular groups of students. So it's sort of like okay. a fairly broad brush. And so your 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 book looked very closely, didn't it? It, it provided yeah. sort of uh, analysis, a, a mechanism for actually interrogating the data and the outcomes that. Mm-hmm. schools are achieving so uh, I'm hoping that Martin Oliver will shift the balance back a little bit because I think you, know, you can you can become an outstanding school with some fairly large groups not achieving very well you know I, I think um, Michael Fullan this week has been suggesting that instead of uh, trying to identify weak schools we should be looking in individual schools and identifying groups that are not you know and supporting groups uh, mm-hmm. intervening in groups that are not doing well in particular schools. Because, you know, I, I know Frank and I spoke about this years and years ago, that when you've got a, a sort of standard that makes the school okay, used to be sort of 90% level four and above in, in my day, yes. then it masks the fact that, that there are a lot of there's a lot of underachievement in that, a potential underachievement, but because the school gets a, a tick and, a, and off, nobody really intervenes with that yeah and I think it also where it works where schools are really doing a good job uh, particularly those serving some very challenging communities I I can think of a particular secondary school who's who's doing an amazing job um, with Gypsy Roma students Mm -hmm. and that their attainment and their progress is better than that group now that group is a is a, well this year actually gcse results i was at an off qual briefing this week that group have actually started to begin to make progress against the national average which is great but that school were doing that for a while but it, it was just ignored 
You know, I mean, it was just not, and it's a significant group of kids in the school. They were just looking at the 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 broad picture. You know, did it look all right? You know, rather than delving into the issues. Uh, the... So, um, well, that thank you, uh, Stan. How are you? I'm okay. It's unusual this because it's a Friday evening. Evening. Early evening. Time. <laughs> I know. Uh, and that was all down to me, I think. Uh, but anyway, uh, I managed to get back from Blackpool in time. Um, so what's caught your eye this week? Well, um, oh, amongst other at. things. Oh, I should say the date is the 8th of December. Yeah. I had to say that, 2023. Yeah. People asking for that to be on the video. Yeah, yesterday, the uh, I think was the was it the final day of the Inquisitor? It was like the day before um, into uh, the events at Caversham. And what I what I saw yesterday and today is Ofsted's response to that, which I thought was just showed if there's emo- if you can have a lack of emotional intelligence in in a, a re- written response that has it in bucketfuls to basically say, well, our, as a result of of being told that Ofsted have had an impact on somebody's life, as in. Uh, been responsible partly for the causing of a death to say right well we'll suspend inspections for a day while we train everyone it's just so insensitive that it, i mean it, it my view it'd been better not saying do do that if that's your solution to begin with mm-hmm. but don't pace that as if that's our great step forward this is what we're going to do i mean i would have thought the thing to do would have been suspend inspections for the rest of this term which is only effectively a week and a half and then say and we're going to do some training before we start again in january yeah, yeah. it just seems a really insensitive response what's your take on it samina yeah i think it's actually very similar to uh, i don't know if you recall during covid when um you know inspections were nearly suspended there hadn't been Ofsted inspections at that particular point and there was uh, something about well if the head teacher the guidance um you know passes away i'm trying to be very diplomatic yes, yes. compared to the word in and it was just seems really cruel and heartless and inhumane and you know this colleagues there waiting for Ofsted inspections on the back of what's you know mm-hmm. this horrendous incident that's that's happened uh and there seems to be no lessons really learned and there seems to be too remote too far away with uh from what's actually happening on the ground so yeah um too little too late I think yeah. and probably better not to have said anything at this particular point to to really have a an effective response to yeah. what had happened rather than just saying we're going to have a, a day's training well i mean i i i've tweeted quite a bit about this i mean i think i could never envisage the events uh around cabisham but i think for a long time i've been troubled by the manner and the tone of some inspectors and and their inability to work effectively with the school to find a, to find evidence and to discuss evidence in such a way that it remains professional and i even as you were saying yesterday um i can't tell you the name of the school but i know of a, an infant school that was inspected and at the end of the first day bearing in mind all of this is happening somewhere in reading in a in a coroner's court um 
there was a, a, an inspector who just was so out of sync with the rest of the team in the manner and the way that that person behaved that, you know, you think, well, there, there is a, it's not just at the senior level. It's, there is, there is a sort of an acceptance that this sort of behavior can continue. And the, and the lack of sensitivity from senior leaders in, in Ofsted that, that filters through into the system, you know, and, and, and the, the culture is such that it's easy to, to view people who are more sensitive and more um, alert to the emotional aspects of another person are viewed as a bit soft, you know, that, you know, I mean, what we want is some really, you know, rigorous, these words, rigorous, robust, these are words that Ofsted uses quite a lot. But actually, you know, you can be rigorous and robust, but still be kind. But some people view that as, well, to be rigorous, robust means you need also to be a bit abrupt, a bit, you know, forceful. These are all the words that I think um, some senior managers believe to be effective inspection. And for me, I've tweeted today, if I was the chief inspector, if I was the chief chief operating officer or a member of Ofsted's board, I would have resigned today. I don't know what more has to happen in order for somebody to carry on doing that job. I just cannot see how any other job in any other environment would tolerate this. Um, Um, They must have. I mean, people like uh, this kind of inspector who goes in and causes ill feeling straight away and, and, and causes disruption in the school there must be a level of complaint about their, the way they behave. That Ofsted must have a database that says we really need to look at A, B and C and, you know, our recruitment should be better because yeah. our recruitment shouldn't be appointing people who haven't got a, a, an empathetic way with, with uh, schools. And I know she says that everybody, every inspector has been a, a school leader at some point and, well, I'm not sure that's accurate. That's not accurate. That is no. definitely not accurate, is it? But I mean, um, that doesn't, again, it doesn't make it that you are able to deal with people who are highly stressed. I think there's a white heat. I've used that term before. Yeah, that's a sort of like, was it, that's a 1960s Labour government term, I think, the white heat. But there's a white heat of uh, of emotion that you get when you're, in charge of an organisation, it doesn't have to be a school, but where you really are under the cosh. You know what that feeling feels like. It doesn't, you know, and it, I mean, somebody said to me, I think on here, didn't we, that I said, I think it was, was it Adrian or uh, Alwyn or somebody, Alwyn Pugh it was, former HMI, said, look, Frank, you know, I've never been ahead of a school, but he'd been ahead of a big service, you know, in a, in ITE. You know, he'd, he'd done some work in local authority. All of that, mm-hmm. all of that involves white heat stuff, doesn't it? We're up against the elected members. You know, the re- the results this year are rubbish when you're, if you're a DCS, yeah, how are you defending this? You know, that's mm-hmm. the sort of pressure. Uh, and they've got quite a lot of HMIs and inspectors now who are well off that. You're well off that sort of, in, in that level of responsibility. Uh, I think the other thing is, uh, in terms of the, the complaints process done, I was thinking that, you know, actually how many head teachers even bother to complain, yeah, I, even yeah. though, the, you know, may have had a terrible experience because one it's not open transparent very few people succeed 
Mm-hmm. You have to throw a lot of money at it. And I know they're in the process of looking at the complaints procedure, but how can you mark your own work, basically? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I think the level of uh, sort of, um, you know, um, in terms of, you know, wanting to complain, but not actually getting around to, uh, not getting around to, not wanting yeah. to complain because you just don't feel it's going to get anywhere. And it's more, well, you know, you've been, if you've been through an awful process, you're not going to put all that energy and time and effort when you know that nothing's going to change as well. So it's, and there's it's a also the fear. One. There's also the fear. Whatever oh. people say, there is a fear that if I upset Ofsted, that, that I'm going to get clobbered next time. That that's a, a definite feeling amongst mm. uh, school leaders. I think also, I think you mentioned this before we started recording, Samina. But there is a little strategy which I've noticed where it, uh, currently the the issue to go for is safeguarding. So, or it could, but it doesn't have to be safe. It could be a subject, and your initial you could go in and say, "Oh, I'm deeply concerned about the maths here now." I think it has to be the- phonics. Phonics <laughs> is a very popular <laughs> focus, and then and then and then more evidence is found, and the and so in effect that's then the way the way the inspectors seem to manage it is around. Well, we'll give you that. We'll mm. give you that as if it's in their it's in their sort of power to give yeah. you that judgment, yeah, and in a way, you're, the the school then feel relieved that they've won that battle. But then there's a sort of sense of, well, but actually this isn't very good. And you think, oh, well, I, I, I'll tolerate that because actually the phonics is critically important. I mean, the same would be with safeguarding, wouldn't it? You know, but we'll let that go and we'll let this issue here about foundation subjects go through on the nod because we don't really want to stir it up any more than we have already. Um, right, Samina, what's caught your eye this week? So, um I think there was all the fanfare around the PISA, um, you know, outcomes. I'm not going to dwell too much on that, whatever, because it depends on how you interpret it. You know, some people can pick out uh, all the positives. And then if you read the report, it also talks about methodology and it not being, you know, 100% accurate. So still a small sample of what, about five and, uh, five and a half thousand people yes. and so on. But around about the same time, I don't know if it was on the same day or um, a day or two later, was also the UNICEF report. And it talked about um, child income poverty rates uh, from 2012 to 2014 and then from now from 2019 to uh, 21. And it's shocking because I think as a a nation, we need to sort of hang our heads down and shame that uh, United Kingdom's really at the bottom of that and child poverty rates have increased by 20% over that period of time whereas you know you've got countries like Poland, um, Slovenia, Latvia, Lithuania they're at the top they're reducing child poverty and um, whereas some of the the more sort of established western you know privileged nations are actually going in reverse and i think that really has massive implications for you know what we're trying to do in schools and you know talking to you earlier about schools came you know the fourth emergency service during covid but they're continuing to do that but without the resource and the support that they need and you know hats off to um you know colleagues for the work that they are doing but they're doing it on a shoestring they're plugging gaps in 
um, societal, you know, and organisational sort of failures where there isn't that resource. So they're having to do more and more of the, the specialist service. And at the end of the day, you know, if a child's hungry, cold, you know, and where then, you know, then they're coming into school and then we're talking about teaching and learning. If we can't get those, you know, basic fundamental things right and we're going in reverse, you know, what hope have we got as a country? I agree. I agree. I, I think we were very low down on the sort of happiness and, and well-being. We were second, right. from, yes. second from bottom in the PISA report, weren't we? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think the issue here is that there are those, um, and I think Amanda Spillman is one of them, um, who say that actually we need to define more clearly what the role of educators is. You know, and I think that I mean I do have some sympathy with that, you know. Um but but actually what do you do, you know, when children are turning up and haven't had a breakfast and they haven't got anything in their lunchbox? And and they haven't got money for school dinners. They're not on free school meals. That's that's the worry for me is the the the, the children that are slightly above the threshold, you know. And what you're meant to do is people don't claim Frank. No, yeah. I yeah. mean, I know it's it's different now than when I was ahead, but we had a significant number of people who didn't apply for free school meals because it was seen as a as not not something you would want people to know about yes. in a, a middle class area yeah so we've, we've there's a lot of things that aren't right and it appears to me that there's no money I, i've just read today just before we came on that there's encouragement for schools to sell off land now to, yes. to pay for capital investment yeah we, <laughs> the only way to get the rack is to sell the playing fields yeah yeah <laughs> uh yeah i mean i think that um i was you know so I, I think the the poverty issue is one that it's very it's very easy that very easy for those that are not experiencing that acute level of poverty in their community to sort mm-hmm. of push it away to disregard it you know they will say oh we've got some we've got some elements of poverty it, it doesn't hold back our children in. well actually you get to a sort of tipping point in all of this where you simply don't have the resources you don't have the community resource to, to deal with it you know and it, and it it basically tips it over you know, um... it's funny you should say that, Frank. We, uh, I was at a, a meeting in a very middle class area where where somebody in the meeting said, "Well, we kind of don't have any poverty here." Yeah. And I and I said, <laughs> "Really? Where's that statement coming from?" Where, yeah. You know, the, the one thing you shouldn't be doing in, in a middle class area is assuming that, that that there are no issues on poverty and, and no issues on on other areas that that are deemed not to happen in our area and and it, it frightened me to think that there were people because the assumption then makes it worse because you have things going on in your school that cost parents money and if you if your head is around well we don't have any poverty so we don't need to worry about that then you the pressure you're putting on those with the least is is incredible for yeah. them to try and yes. keep up with people who are much better off than themselves. I, I might be, uh, I mean, I'm probably revealing too much here in that about my lack of awareness. Um, but we've got a grandchild who's going, gone now into a secondary school and uh, it's a very high-performing, sort of judged outstanding by Ofsted. But actually, all of the homework is online, mm. right? So 
all of that analysis, you know, all those days, Stan, of having to mark books and then record them in a in a journal, add up all that, that's all gone. You know, so basically a teacher on this system is just basically looking at uh, and there's an, there's an algorithm. So if you struggle, say, with Spanish and you get a certain level, then it takes you back to a certain point in the course so that you can revisit it. You're not aware you're doing it. Hmm. But for me, that that requires a computer and, and, and a good Internet access and also a computer that's for this in Spanish. It's got to have sound and it also you've got to be able to speak into it. So there's quite a lot of technology here that it's depending on. I'm not aware that the school's done anything to say, well, if you haven't got that, we can help you. You know, it's just an assumption that everybody in this area will have all of that. And it's it's not the case. I don't think all schools, I think the schools did get better, though, during COVID because, you know, with all the laptops and, uh, you know, doing the audits and actually getting a feel of what was going on. I think there's other wider issues. It's not just about the technology. It's the wherewithal in terms of the in the family environment. There's also simple things like the space. What space is there Mm -hmm. for somebody to, to, you know, uh, work? Uh, Electricity. I mean, bills have gone up stupidly, you know, in terms of uh, costs and everything else. And so if you think about... Um, Wi-Fi costs. If you think about um, what's it saying, electricity and all that, there's yeah. so many things that actually come, you know, within that. And if there is one laptop and the whole family's going to share it, rather than everybody having their own device, there's so many things, you know, that is that goes with online learning. It's not just the equipment; it's yeah. all the infrastructure that you need behind that for it to be successful as well but the assumption is often made although like I said you know I think schools did get really good at that during COVID especially when they were doing the online learning I don't know how um clued up they are again you know kept up with that sort of level of uh, detail that uh, schools were forced to you know find out about families and so on but yeah there are I think assumptions made about what is you know available in the home environment and yeah, the yeah. expectation is that you just get on and do it yeah um, my, my favorite i know this is not relevant at all but it just makes me smile that <laughs> when they were doing um the school that i'm associated with when they were doing online lessons uh, on two occasions they had to ring a parent to say their child had fallen asleep (laughs) (laughs) the lesson had finished but the child was asleep (laughs) there's something to the quality of teaching actually but i didn't (laughs) actually and what it's funny uh can i have two things for what's caught my eye the first because i didn't mention this before we've spoken a lot in the past about recruitment of teachers but the figures this week are absolutely catastrophically bad, aren't they? Is it half half the number of teachers that have been recruited? And and actually the number that are staying, the proportion that are staying is 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 less. You know what I mean? So they're not staying. And and suddenly you you have to start thinking about, well, why are the children not very happy? Why are the teachers not very happy? Why are people not staying? You know, suddenly, you know, you have to start connecting these things together. You know, and was it uh, wasn't there something last week as well about um, Nick Gibb actually saying that we need to pay teachers more if we want to retain yeah. them? And I thought, well, that's good now that he's left. Yeah, <laughs> the shame that you weren't able to, you know, do something about it when you were in that sort of position. But obviously, that's just one factor. Pay is obviously 
critical was the workload of stem pressures. There's yeah. no work-life balance. Why why would you go into a career if you're you're not going to get you know the satisfaction that you want and feel that you've got the support of the system? I'm not talking about individual schools, I'm talking about you know the education system that we've set up whereby um you know you can actually do a decent job and do what you want to do. Yes, I agree. Um, yeah, I, I just think there's a real hypocrisy about about somebody who who leaves office and then immediately <laughs> says something that during the time in office had to still have those views, yeah, yeah. but didn't say that and yeah, didn't no. agree with that. And yeah. that, to me, is just typical of where we are in politics at the moment. Yeah. That my my personal views, my values are different from what I say to people, or what because I'm following some kind of ideological line. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think that's just the worst thing that's going on at the moment in politics. Yeah. I mean, uh, the thing that I was struck by is um, I was at a meeting uh, this afternoon and um, it was really about how um, how some schools and some trusts and so, some local authorities even think that the answer to a problem doesn't lie within their own local authority or their own trust, you know, so there is a, you get to a point, a sort of tipping point where they think, for example, if a school sort of was judged to be inadequate, whatever, you know, there might be a little bit of thought about, well, have we got enough expertise nearby that we can offer that? But too often it seems as though the cavalry are called for and sort of this group come in from, I don't know, I mean, somewhere, the other side of the country, um, where they probably do a very effective job in their community with the assumption that, this is going to work over here now, folks. You know, we have no idea who these people are. They're rocking up into town, you know, and there's all that suspicion, isn't there? Like, it's just the, the sort of simple thing about, well, you know, we've got a problem. Why don't we ask our neighbours to help us sort it out? That's what we do here. You know, mm-hmm. um, in the old days, it used to, we haven't got any milk. Well, my mother would tell me to go knock next door and see if she's got some milk, you know. And, but, but actually, the, the, this, it, there's an assumption, particularly for schools in really challenging communities, where you know, perhaps academic achievement is not as high as it is in Windsor and Maidenhead. There's an assumption that actually you, you can't do it. You haven't got it, you know. Um, and I think that's that's I think they just we just miss this sort of thing. The thing that works so well in COVID, you know, all muck in, all help each other. When it comes around to helping academically we look for a different solution yeah i think I that's part say... of the um sort of fragmentation in the education system and the structures sometimes getting in the way not all in all places but people aren't genuinely um um having the opportunities of uh, meeting with other colleagues in the area it's more about your organization yes and there's those roles that they used to exist at local authority level or whatever uh, to facilitate those partnerships uh, and I'm not saying people can't do their own partnerships because they can and they could do them effectively but bringing everybody in and mm-hmm. really you know sharing that expertise that's sort of gone by the by in this real people doing those sorts of roles and have got the skills to build those relationships you know and bring people together and really talk about the place and what's unique about that place and the challenges and where Colleagues are doing a really good job on, on those aspects of it, but also how can you share your expertise, which might be in another area? So I think 
you know, that whole thing about the DFE controlling quite a lot of schools and being yeah. somewhere in, you know, Westminster is, is a real issue. Uh, and I think there's always been that north-south divide as well. Definitely. As is the the, the training that, that's um, sort of one one way of training across all all schools, which doesn't take into account context at all. Okay. The other thing I was going to say to Frank on, on local support something I used to bang on about all the time, that that some of our schools in special measures had the I, real experts. I agree. Nobody, I agree. nobody thought to go and ask a school that's in special measures, can you help us yeah. with something that we've got a problem with? Because they're in special measures. They can't yeah. possibly yeah. be doing yeah. anything yeah. right. There's an assumption that everything oh. is in special measures, isn't it? Yeah. Everything is rubbish. You know, and I, I visited a special measures school this week you know, there are some of the senior leaders there, you know, that they're staying, they're staying with it because they care deeply about that community and they're, they're brilliant. You know, they're really, really on it, you know, but everybody but, assumes because it's special measures. Well, yeah. doesn't that bring us around to the Caversham thing then? That it's not, it's not the judgment that you're inadequate because of some paperwork. It's the fact that that line says everything is inadequate the whole school and that's that's the issue with i think with the one word judgment and i think stan you know that's where also then the consequences of those labels are massive for that school community because what you do then find is people leave move on and then you can't get the staff coming back to the recruitment issue and obviously that uh, that really impedes the progress that you, you you know you need to make as well without really addressing some of those core issues in those communities as well and what's needed because you want the best teachers there don't you yeah. really and that's not to say some of them don't but generally what happens is when you get that label then people think I don't want to be associated with that it's going to damage my career so they move out and then it's a trickle effect and sometimes it actually happens quite quite rapidly I, I think also, um, how does this feel for children? Yeah. You know, and they're, they're, they view this as, well, Miss, you're rubbish. You, you're inadequate, aren't you? And I go to inadequate, in an, an inadequate school. So I must be inadequate. We're all inadequate. Ofsted have the same view because you can't be an inspector if your school's That's not right. good or outstanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that exactly the same thing? We can't possibly have really talented school leaders if their schools are not good or outstanding. They take the view that they need all the time they've got in order to improve it. But but actually, what I I think inspection teams would be significantly enhanced if they had all head teachers. You know, if they were going to carry on with that, that they had people from across the full range of schools. Um, Yeah. Um, I was thinking of something else, but it slipped my mind. Ah, oh, I know what it is. Don't forget to buy Samina's book, all right? So, and also, while we're on books, next week is our last week. And uh, we've got Eric Craven, the Scouse poet, on next week. I think for the third time, Stan. And he's got a, I think it's his third time, but he's got a book out that came out it's it's in yes on amazon today so it's fresh out and he'll be reading some of the poems from that this week uh, uh next week and um that'll be it stan for the year for the christmas, the christmas, christmas next week 
we are on Christmas hats next week. I'll have a bit of decoration behind me as well. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, we'll also do a review. We'll do the review next week because uh, we've had some really, you know, like Samina, some, you know, some great guests on. And uh, it's the guests that make the show, isn't it? It's the guests that make Definitely. it. Definitely. Okay. <laughs> okay. So um, thank you very much, Samina, for joining us. You're welcome. Uh, Thanks again for having me. Samina's available for uh, speeches, conferences, lectures, support. uh, That's uh, our top of the day job. I know. (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll put, uh, yeah, but you can just search. If you search for Samina, you'll find her on uh, her her details on the internet if you want to reach out to her. And the book's available as well. So it's called uh, Equitable Education. Okay, Stan. So I'll see you next week. Yeah, and, uh, all being well. Yeah, so uh, take care, everybody. Thanks, Samina. Thank yeah, you. Thank take you care. Much. Bye. Bye.